Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn it to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. And that song, actually, they just sang, actually deals a little bit with what I'm going to be talking about here tonight. But uh, this doesn't get any easier doing this. Um, I'm, I'm thankful to God for the many opportunities that I've had to preach. And you would think that I, I would like to say I've preached several times now, a lot, not just here, but uh, kind of in, in college too and the different churches I've interned at, and it never gets easier. <laughs> but God always gives the strength just to uh, get you through it. And so I just always encourage people to follow God's will for your life. If He can use someone like me uh, to do public speaking, whatever you want to call this, the foolishness of preaching, then definitely He can use you. So uh, just follow God's will and you'll have absolutely no regrets in your life and it'll lead to nothing but joy. Well, Romans chapter number 8 is where we're going to be, uh, and what a wonderful message that was this morning from Pastor, wasn't it? That was a really strong challenge and uh, uh, stole a little bit of mine, Pastor, <laughs> a little bit, just a little bit, yeah, <laughs> same notes. Our wives wrote us the same message, apparently, yeah. uh, but we're kind of dealing with the same thing along the same lines. You might hear me bring up a little bit what he talked about this morning, but uh, I don't think that's coincidence. I think God has a purpose in what he's trying to say. And he always does. And so I'm thankful for the opportunity just to be used of God here at this time. So let's go ahead and read Romans chapter number 8. If you have your Bibles there, say amen. amen. All right. If you're awake, say amen. amen. All right. Here we go. Romans chapter number 8. Let's look at verse number 18. I'll read the one verse. I'll pray. And then we'll get into what I believe God has for us here tonight. Romans chapter number 8, verse 18. And it says this. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much uh, for every opportunity we get to serve you. And uh, it's always just exciting to know, Lord, that because you've chosen to tarry and you've chosen to be more long-suffering, you've given not only time for Christians to uh, get right with you and, and any sin that may be in our lives, but you've also given another opportunity for unbelievers to receive you as their Savior. And just the fact that you've chosen it, Terry, tells us that you still have a purpose that needs to be done. Because, Lord, if there was no more plan for this earth or the people in it, why aren't we in heaven with you right now? And so, Lord, we're excited to see what you're going to do. And if this is the last moment, Lord, I pray that we would just hear your word. I pray that it would just be encouraging to us and that if there are any decisions that we need to make, I pray that we would make them. Help us not to be hearers of your word only, but doers as well. Use me, Lord. You know how much I stumble over my words, but I pray your Holy Spirit will just be clear and that I can be clear and be a blessing to the church here tonight. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, right here we find in verse number 18, Paul, of course, is a writer of Romans, and this is chapter number 8. And I want you to look with me at the, the third word in that sentence that Paul is writing in verse 18. He says, For I reckon. For I reckon. Now, the word reckon, the word reckon, it means to conclude as a result of reasoning, to conclude as a result of reasoning, to come up with a particular conclusion after a lot of consideration and a lot of thinking. All right? That's what reckon is, is to come to a conclusion after a lot of consideration or out of a lot of thinking. Now, when I was younger, uh, I played a lot of board games. Anybody else play board games like board games in here? I, I played a lot of board games with my family uh, growing up. And there was one in particular. I didn't really ever play it often. As a matter of fact, I really don't remember playing this once. Uh, but there was a board game, and it was called Would You Rather. That's what the board game was called. 
And uh, it was asking some questions, of course, which started with the words, would you rather? And it gave two scenarios, and I'll explain this a little bit more. And uh, what pretty much the players would do is, after being asked the would you rather question, uh, the question would present a dilemma. And I'll give you an example here, okay? There would be a dilemma in the form of a question beginning with, with like what I said, would you rather? The dilemma uh, can be between two supposedly good options such as this. Would you rather have the power to fly or the power of an invisibility? Okay? Or it can have two attractive choices such as would you rather have money or would you rather have fame? Another two supposedly bad options you could be asked. Would you rather it rain hail the size of baseballs or would you rather it rain lawn darts? Okay, some, some of you are thinking, why would you play this game? I don't know. <laughs> we just like talking about these questions, apparently. Uh, but pretty much what would happen is that you would ask a player uh, uh, one of these questions, and of course you can't answer, well, I wouldn't do neither of those. And you can't, definitely can't answer, well, both of them, because that's against the rules. You can't do that. So this leads the players of this game to debate. It causes them to reckon. Okay, it causes them to weigh their options. Now, here are a couple questions from that game that I can remember, and a lot of these, I don't know about you, but I relate to some of these things here. But here, let me give you an example of one of the questions that would be in this game. Would you rather buy 10 things that you don't need every time you go shopping, or would you rather always forget the one thing that you need when you go to the store? Which one would you rather? And you can't say, neither, neither. No, you have to choose one. And if you're like me, uh, you do both. <laughs> Not only do you go to the store and buy the 10 things you don't need, but you also forget the one thing you actually do need, right? And so that's one of the questions, what would you rather do? Now, as I ask you these questions, I just want you to, of course, maybe not answer out loud, but what you do in your brain is you start to reckon. You start reasoning. You start weighing your options. And really what you're doing is you start comparing. Well, huh, I wonder, is it better to buy 10 things maybe that cost more money? I lose more money, more money, or compared to maybe uh, just buying or forgetting the one thing, but it's the, the thing I need. And so you kind of start reckoning some things like that. That's one question. Here's another one. Would you rather labor under a hot sun or in the extreme cold? What would you rather? Would you rather labor in the hot sun or in the extreme cold? I like cold weather. That's me personally. And my, my reasoning all the time is I think it's a lot easier to warm up in cold weather than it is to cool down in hot weather. That's my reasoning. But uh, maybe I would prefer uh, cold weather, extreme cold, apparently. Here's another one. And just think, you're reckoning right now. That's all I'm causing you to do is just reckon. Compare some things and come up with an answer. Uh, would you rather be 11 feet tall or 9 inches tall? 11 feet tall or 9 inches. And I know what you all are thinking. Of course I wouldn't want to be short. But I'm telling you, I'm short. And I, listen to me. There are a lot of benefits in being short. Okay? <laughs> the air is better down here. The taller you get, the less oxygen you get. That's not good for your brain. Okay? I, can, I can fit. I have a lot of spaces. When I go home, I have a bigger space. If you're taller, you've got a smaller space when you go home. So, look, there's a lot of things. You know what I'm doing? I'm reckoning. I'm using reasoning. I'm comparing things. And I'm coming to conclusions. But I'm telling you, Definitely you want to be nine, nine inches tall, not 11 feet tall. And then here's the last one here that you can think about. Would you rather find a rat in your kitchen or a roach in your bed? <laughs> Would you rather find a rat in your kitchen or a roach in your bed? Now, after asking these questions, what you would be doing is you'd be, like I said, you'd be reckoning, okay? 
You'd be coming up with uh, a series of reasons, pros and cons. Well, this is the reason why I would rather find a rat. Well, no, no, no. Here's the reason why I'd find, rather find the roach. And, well, and, and you start reckoning, and then you come to your conclusion. But it's a logical conclusion. It's a very serious thing. You come to a serious answer. Reckoning is a very, very serious thing. And did you know that Moses himself was actually put in a similar situation where he was given the question, would you rather? And what I want you to do is put your bookmark right there in Romans chapter number 8. And if you would, go with me to Hebrews. Put a bookmark right there in Romans chapter number 8. And if you would, go to the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. Moses was confronted with one of the same questions, would you rather? And you'll see it here. Would you rather? And we'll look at the two options he was given. And we'll go back to Romans 8 and we'll get really into the meat of this thing here. But Moses was presented with a similar kind of question. And we find it right here in Hebrews chapter number 11. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. Great. Hebrews chapter number 11. If you would, look with me at verse number 24. Hebrews chapter number 11, verse 24. And the Bible says this. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Ready for these two words? Choosing rather. Okay, why? He has two options here. What's option number one? Well, would you rather suffer affliction with the people of God? Or, Moses, would you rather enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season? And we know right here, based on what the Bible says, Moses chose to suffer. And that's interesting, and I'll come to that. But Moses chose to suffer with the affliction and with the people of God. He chose affliction rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The Bible says in verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the, re- of the reward. And church here tonight, and you can go back to Romans chapter number 8, and, and tonight I believe, and really this is a daily thing, you and I are presented with the same exact question every single day. And that this is a spiritual warfare that we're in in the battle. But I believe, church, that you and I are presented, presented with the same kind of question. And it's this question, church. Would you and I, it's for all of us here, would you rather suffer affliction with the people of God or would you rather enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season? Now, some of us, of course, uh, what you're going to be doing right now is you're reckoning. And, of course, in, in a, probably in an atmosphere, in a setting like this, your go-to answer, of course, suffer affliction. Of course, the Christian, the right answer would be to suffer affliction with the people of God, of course. But in reality, even though we may contemplate and reason and reckon all these reasons why we choose to suffer, we never do that part. We choose, yes, I'll suffer the affliction, but then instead of suffering the affliction, we're enjoying this world. We're doing the complete opposite. We know the right answer to this question, but we're not doing what the right answer should be. And that's to be suffering affliction with the people of God rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. And you would honestly, as I really think about this, would really be surprised how often we really ask ourselves and compare things every single day. Would I rather do this? Would I rather do that? Forgive you an instance. Would I rather wake up 30 minutes earlier than I normally do so I get time for my devotions, or would I rather use the 30 minutes for extra sleep? See, none of us really ever ask that question in the morning. It's just something habitual that we do. But you'd be surprised how often we, we really confront our, ourselves with this question. What would I rather do? Would I rather go home and cook a meal, or would I rather just pay someone else to cook a meal for me? 
We are constantly, and I'm just giving you some minute examples of just things that we do on a daily basis without honestly fully recognizing those things. We're honestly doing this all the time. And so in Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 18, after a lot of reasoning, after a lot of reckoning and consideration and logical thinking, the Bible says that uh, Paul comes up with a conclusion to a question. And by the way, he does all the thinking for us. Okay, I encourage you to think about this question. But right now, Paul has done all the thinking for us. And he's going to give his answer under the inspiration of God of what it is. What should we do? According to Romans chapter number 8, verse 18. So he does all the thinking for us. He was presented with the same question. Would I rather suffer affliction with the people of God or enjoy the pleasures of this world and not have to suffer? And that's a good question. What would you rather do, church? Would you rather suffer affliction with the people of God or would you rather enjoy the pleasures of this world and escape a lot of that suffering that's going to come with Christianity? What would you rather do? In our flesh, we know because of Romans 7 that dwells no good thing, we know what that answer would be. No one in their right mind says, yeah, I want to suffer. Yes, that'd be such a great thing. Just make, persecute me, please. Nobody does that. Nobody in their right mind wants, yes, make me suffer. I want that with a passion. Nobody, nobody encourages that and, and dwells on that and, and wants that for themselves in our flesh, of course. But the inward man that is renewed day by day should want to suffer with the affliction that the people of God do. He was presented, Paul, would I rather suffer the affliction with the people of God or enjoy the pleasures of this world and not have to suffer? And like I said, after a lot of thinking, after a lot of reckoning and reasonable thinking, it's this very serious thing Paul did here, by the way. It wasn't taken lightly. He didn't just, uh, yeah, this is a good answer. He seriously thought about this question and weighed it out. He reckoned it. And his consideration after his thinking, this is what he concludes. Look at that verse again. Look at Romans chapter number 8, verse number 18. After presented with that question, this is what he concludes. He says, I conclude that the sufferings of this present time, right now, that, we're, that we may deal with, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's Paul's answer. I reckon... And after a lot of logical thinking, because trust me, I've thought about this a lot, and I'll show you why Paul probably thought about it more than any one of us. After all of his logical thinking here, he concludes that to the answer to this question, that you know what, any amount of suffering, whatever suffering we may face presently, right now, is not even worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. It's not even worthy to be put on the list of pros and cons. And that's why I titled this message, It's Not Up for Debate. It's not even something I should debate in my head. This shouldn't be a, hmm, should I, should I, would I rather suffer? Would I rather enjoy sin? This shouldn't even be a question. It should be, I will and I will suffer for Jesus Christ. It's not even up for date. That's what he's saying here. It's not even worthy to be compared. It's not even worthy to think about. Our go-to answer should be every time I choose rather to suffer. Why? Because we know that this present time, when we suffer, it's not even worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be within us. Now, I was reading a commentary by Matthew Henry, and he said something that was very interesting, and I really liked, and I'm just going to read it to you here, and this is what it says, and I quote, The state of the church in this world always is, but was then especially, an afflicted state. To be a Christian was certainly to be a sufferer. End quote. That's what he says. To be a Christian was certainly to be a sufferer. And we know in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Yea, 
and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. Shall suffer. Not you might suffer. It could be you get a lot closer to suffering. No, you will suffer. You shall suffer persecution, the Bible says. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. And notice how the Bible says here, all they that live godly. You know, th this is something I was studying a whole nother time too, and it's very interesting. And I want to study that even more. But it says, all they that will live godly, not talk godly, live godly. There's a major difference in that because it's a lot easier to talk Christian than it is to live Christian. It's a lot easier. Whatever the case, Paul writes that all those who live godly will suffer persecution. It's a sure thing. It's unavoidable, church. You want to be a Christian, you'll have to endure a lot of suffering. And that always raises the question I've heard before, well, if you're not facing any persecution, it could be because you're not living the way you should be. And that's true. It's true. Maybe, maybe you think, well, I've been a Christian for years and I've never really suffered really anything. Well, why is that? Didn't Christ say if you suffer, maybe, maybe you're being too private about your Christianity and not making it as public as you should be. But Jesus said, all they shall suffer persecution. You want to be a Christian, you'll have to do and endure a lot of suffering. Now, unfortunately, that very thought right there that I just said, suffering, that thought of suffering, it deters and frightens many from pursuing godliness. They reckon. This is what we do, church. We reckon. We, we, we think about all the sufferings. Man, if I truly go all out and surrender myself for God, and just imagine the kind of maybe pain and hurt, and where, where is God going to lead me in His will? I'm just not sure. When, when I can stay, stay in my safe zone over here where... I'm not, I mean, I'm kind of half in, half out, but I'm not, you know, super public about it, and I'll be good over here. And we reckon that. And unfortunately, I truly believe that the very thought of having to suffer in this life for the sake of Jesus Christ, it deters and it makes a lot of people uh, stop themselves from pursuing godliness in their lives because they just don't want to suffer. You and I reckon that the sufferings that we'll experience here on this earth you and I, listen to me, you and I, we, we, we think and we contemplate and we compare. And our conclusion is, we think, church, that the sufferings that we'll experience here on this earth because of living godly here on earth are going to outweigh the eternal glory that's going to be revealed in heaven. That's wrong. It's wrong. That's absolutely false. That's just not true. And that's what Paul is getting at again. And we can't live our lives that way. We can't hold ourselves back from pursuing godliness but just because we think a little suffering is going to happen in our lives. And I'm not saying it's not going to be hard, but God's going to be with us in every moment. But it shouldn't prevent us from living godly. Knowing that you're going to suffer shouldn't prevent you from living godly. You should pursue it yet the more. Uh, some of you all may have heard of The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, you may have read the book or, or watched. There's an animated movie and a, and a live-action movie in it, uh, on that. And uh, I, I just couldn't help but think of this. But in, in this book or movie, in Pilgrim's Progress, there's a, a scene that I saw personally, and, and I'm sure it's in the book too, of there's two characters here, Pliable and Christian. And obviously Christian represents the, the believer who is born again. And then Pliable is a character in this book, but the Bible or the book describes him to be easily bent, a double-minded man who just can never make up his mind. Every little thing, he changes his mind. Pliable, that's why you call him pliable. And uh, in, in, this, in this book, 
you have Christian who comes up and he starts uh, uh, witnessing and preaching and pliables there is, and he's listening. And Christian says, hey, man, I, I, I tell you what, pliable, there are great things waiting for Christians. There are great things. There's a street of gold. Uh, there, there's a mansion that Jesus is preparing for us. There's, there's peace. There's life everlasting. There's a tree of life, a river of life. I mean, there's great stuff. And when Pliable first hears about these things, he's like, it sounds great. I mean, a river of life, eternal life, streets of gold. This is awesome. He said, where do I sign up? And then, and then Christian, hey, just come with me. And they start journeying together in, in, in this book, The Pilgrim's Progress. And, and, and the first thing what happens is that the Christian and Pliable, along their journey to reach the kingdom of heaven here, they, they reach an area that's called the Swamp of Despondency. The Swamp of Despondency. And according to this book, Pliable and Christian fall into what's considered to be mud and just filth and all this dirty stuff. And the Swamp of Despondency represents sufferings. It represents fear and doubts and sufferings and all these things that Christians will go through. And according to the book, as soon, look, Pliable, he heard all the amazing things awaiting him in heaven. But as soon as suffering came, he said, wait a second. If this is a picture of what the rest of my Christian life is going to look like, then I want nothing to do with it. And then he left. And this is Pliable's, this is what he says. I have no problem changing my mind. That's what he does. Heaven sounds great. Streets of gold sound great. Or street of gold sounds great. River of life, eternal life. Everything sounds great. And we want that, but we don't want to experience the suffering to get there. We just want to go there without any, any of the hard times. And as soon as we face the swamp of despondency in our lives, we just, oh, we just give up so easily. We just quit. There is no way that I will receive in glory, that there is no way that whatever I receive in glory is worth any amount of suffering, sometimes we say to ourselves. You couldn't even pay me to live godly if that's what it's going to be about. You can even pay me to do it. And I truly believe Paul had to wrestle with this thought himself. What I want you to do is go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 right now. 2 Corinthians, two books over, 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. I believe more than anybody else in the Bible, Paul truly... And Pastor brought this up too recently. Paul truly had to wrestle with this thought himself. Let's look at what the Bible says about Paul and his persecutions and his sufferings in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, I'm going to begin reading at verse 23. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, look with me at verse number 23. It says this, Paul writes, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Of the Jews, five times I received forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false 
brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. You know, I read this, <laughs> and then I look at myself and say, I'm such a big baby. I mean, I was never, I mean, we don't really travel on boats, I guess, as much. I was never in a shipwreck, like Paul was with the rest. I was never beaten with the cat of nine tails from the Roman soldiers. I was never stoned. I was never persecuted to the point, like, as he was. And I look at those things, and, and then I look at myself, and I'm like, I'm such a baby with some of the things I've been in my life. I mean, how is it that I can give up so easily? Yeah, Paul over here, who's gone through more than I'm sure any of us have ever gone through, and he still serves God. And, sure, and so I'm sure that Paul, after, maybe after he was stoned, thought, is this still worth it? I mean, those rocks, when they pelted me, I mean, they hurt. Can you imagine the pain from being stoned? And when, and when God got him up again, and, and the Bible says he went preach at that very same place that stoned him. But can you imagine the thoughts he had right after he got stoned? I mean, is this still worth it? He started reckoning again. Would, would I rather get stoned again? <laughs> would I rather preach at the place I just got stoned or maybe go somewhere else at least? I'm sure, Paul, after the shipwreck, I just barely made it out alive. I mean, thanks to the angel that came and spoke to me and encouraged me and not a single soul died. I mean, he was bitten by a viper right after that and everyone said, you got bad luck, Paul. You must be a horrible person. All these things, and I'm sure Paul at some point, man, is this still worth it? After I've been beaten beyond measure in a shipwreck, betrayed by my own countrymen, everything I've done, I'm sure at some point in Paul's life, he would ask himself that question, which is why Romans 8 comes into play. Because he sat down, and he probably thought about everything he's ever been through. He started thinking about the shipwreck, the time he was stoned, bitten by a viper, betrayed by his countrymen, all these things, and he began to reckon. Should I continue? Don't quit. Should I keep pressing on? Is this worth it? What should I do? He went through so much that I'm sure that he had paused to really contemplate whether what he was doing was worth it or not. Praise the Lord, though, he concluded that it was. Can you imagine that? After everything he went through, he concluded that it was still more worth it. I would still rather suffer and go through everything again. I'm sure Paul would say, I would rather go through, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I'd go through it all again. Because imagine how many souls that he saved in doing so. And so he concluded that as a matter of fact, it's worth it. And as a matter of fact, the things that I went through that we just read here, those things, can imagine the things that he went through, are not even worthy to be put on a list of pros and cons to determine whether it's worth it or not. I hope that made sense. In other words, it wasn't even up for debate. Again, of course it was worth it. The word glory here that we find in Romans chapter number 8, if you can go back there, I don't know if your bookmark is still there, but the word glory here. Uh, when studying this out, I mean, it can be said like this. It's, it's the exalted state of blissful perfection, which is the portion of those who dwell with God in heaven. Let me say that again. You think about here, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Let me read that, and then I'll get to this, what I just said again. It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed 
in us. The glory which shall be, which, by the way, shall be is future. Not just yet, church. And as much as we would love all these things now, it's not going to happen now. It it's shall be revealed. The best is yet to come. That's, that's not saying this is amazing too, by the way, when you think about this. I'm sure you've had joy in your life, by the way, of being a Christian, not just suffering. I'm sure you felt the ups, by the way, of being a Christian. Like Pastor said, you fall maybe, but you get back up again. And I'm sure you felt all the wonderful rewards, and you've seen it. But picture this. Even all the blessings you received, they're not even going to be close to what's awaiting us. They're not going to be close. They're not even worthy to be compared the same thing. We, we can only have on earth an idea of reward. But I promise you, church, when we get there to heaven, we're going to be blown. Our expectation is going to be blown. You think you know what joy is. You think you know what happiness and reward is. No, we don't. We cannot fully comprehend that in a sinful earth. But when we meet Jesus Christ, we're, he's going to blow our expectations out of the water. It's going to be amazing. But let me say this again. This is, in, in essence, of what he might say there to the glory. It's referring to the exalted state of blissful perfection, which is the portion of those who dwell with God in heaven. The place described in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, which the Bible says there is a place with no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Amen? For the former things are passed away. That's just unfathomable. Imagine a place without pain. Imagine a place with no sorrow, no crying, no more death. I mean, that's just, I feel like a little bit of what's in store. I know the best thing that's going to be there is just meeting my Lord and Savior and seeing the pierced hands that, and how He died for me. You know, I think about Joseph in the book of Genesis when I, when I consider all this. And Joseph, who experienced, honestly, a life of pain, a, a life of servitude, and, and he was blackmailed and went to jail. I think about Joseph, and yet, I remember when he interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and God promoted him, and he had one of the daughters of the priests there in Egypt. He had two children, Manasseh and Ephraim. And you know what he named him and why he named him that? He said this when he named Manasseh, when, when God, when he held Manasseh in his hand and he looked at his little baby in the face, he said, you know what? God hath made me forget all my toil. That's what it says in Genesis. When I look at my son's face, my child, I, it makes me forget all the suffering. I can't even think about that anymore because of, look at my son. And then you have Ephraim, which he said, and the name of the second shall be called Ephraim. Why? For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And I think about that, and, and I feel like how much that relates to a Christian. Of all the things we're going to be enduring here and suffering for, because we will suffer persecution, but I just imagine when we get to heaven, it's like everything's just going to melt away. I don't even remember when I got stoned. I, don't, I can't even think about the times I was in that shipwreck, nearly died, bitten by the viper, whipped with the cat of nine tails. I mean, that's, that's all behind me now. It, it's the glory that's in heaven and meeting my Lord and Savior just melts it all away. It's so worth it. It's nothing in comparison. It's not worthy to be compared. When the glory is revealed in us, we're going to forget all the toil, all the affliction that we ever endured. 
It's going to all melt away in the light and glory of Jesus Christ, our King and our Savior. I, I can imagine. I mean, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I would imagine that the moment I'm in heaven, everything's just forgotten. I just look at it all, and I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. In just a couple of seconds, everything I ever suffered that held me back from living godly, just all behind me, and it's forgotten. Why is it holding me today? That's the question. The things that are going to be forgotten, the things that are not worth it, why is it holding you back from living godly the way you ought to? Don't think that, hey, look, because I'm going to suffer, I don't want to deal with all this. Don't let that hold you back from living godly. Pursue it and know that it's not going to be worthy. It's not even worthy to be compared to the glory that we'll face. Here's some questions in closing. Are you hesitant? Are you hesitant in living godly for Christ? Are you hesitant? Are you on the fence about it? Are you, I kind of want to, but I don't because maybe I'll be ridiculed, the humiliation I'll face, all the suffering. I'm going to be embarrassed. Are you hesitant of serving Jesus Christ? Are you hesitant of living godly? Do you often reckon to yourself that the things in heaven will not be worth the sufferings on earth? Do you often reckon that to yourself? Do you often contemplate that it doesn't matter what I go through, it's, it's not going to be worthy of being compared? Is the thought of suffering holding you back from living the way you ought to? Is the thought of suffering holding back from living the way you ought to? Reckon today. Conclude today. Paul already gave us the answer. Trust me, church, you don't have to think about it. He already did. And he went through a lot more than I'm sure we have. Just, just trust him and under, under the inspiration of God. Reckon today. Conclude that whatever it is, that you may go through, listen to me, reckon today, reckon tonight, tell yourself, make the conclusion tonight, that whatever it is that you may go through is not even worthy to be compared, compared to the glory which shall be revealed in that day and start living for Jesus today. Let's pray.